The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mal Fambergas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, or your truth journey brought you here, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our episodes, hundreds of them, ranging from 2008, you know what to do by now. Just go to VeritasRadio.com and subscribe. You'll receive your login immediately. And if you want to unlock your full potential, because it's your life and you should take control, visit SanitasRadio.com. Take a listen. You won't be disappointed. Tonight's guest has had an interesting life. His interest in the paranormal began when he was 14 years old. I was strictly limited to the subject of flying saucers. However, that interest gradually expanded via a very circuitous route to include spirituality and ancient wisdom traditions. His passion for mathematics, science, and the paranormal inspired him to research topics involving the afterlife, various religious and existential philosophies, cutting-edge physics, and the nature of reality. A diagnosis of prostate cancer in December of 2003, intensified his interest in these topics and spurred him to undergo hypnotic regression as a healing modality and also to explore past lives and the afterlife. His research and personal exploration resulted in the discovery of contemporary models of the afterlife and the nature of reality which offer surprisingly detailed and specific answers to what he calls the great questions of existence. Where do we go after we die? Where do we come from before we are born? And why are we here? Furthermore, he discovered that knowledge about the afterlife can result in a profound personal transformation that has the potential to greatly enrich and enhance one's life experience. Wanting very much to share this information with others, he decided to write a book in which he could present and discuss these amazing discoveries as well as provide a practical methodology to applying them. And he's here with us tonight to share more. I'd like to welcome John T. Manella, author of the book titled The Afterlife and the True Nature of Reality, The Quest for Answers to the Great Questions of Existence. And John's website is reality-revealed.com, which is also linked at ours. And directly from Westchester, New York, I would like to welcome John T. Manella to Veritas. Hello, John, and welcome to Veritas. How are you? 
Hi, Mel. It's great to be here. It's a pleasure and an honor. Oh, it's my pleasure. And as I was telling you offline, I, I really enjoy all these interviews about the afterlife. Just because I'm always looking for where we come from, where we're going, and anybody that goes out there to scratch the surface, I'm very interested in speaking with. But at the beginning of, of your book, you deconstruct the book title. Uh, why did you combine both phrases, the, the afterlife and the true nature of reality? I did that because uh, I, I was exploring these topics for many, many years uh, independently, and it occurred to me fairly recently that they were interconnected. Uh, in a way that I never foresaw. And uh, once I once I saw that connection and thought about it more and development more, I realized it was pretty profound. And uh, that's actually one of the reasons why I decided to write the book, because uh, I realized that the afterlife topic was not just a kind of an independent uh, topic of interest, but that it had practical ramifications with our earthly lives and our, and our real lives and reality now. What was your main motivation for writing this book? My main motivation was um, – well, let me back up a little. I'm, I'm, I'm a conspiracy theorist, and I'm happy to say that. I'm not ashamed of that label. Uh, uh, I, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with it, and I've been that no. way for a long, for a long time. And, uh, we, we are too, but we just changed the label because, as you know, ever since the Kennedy assassination, that, that term conspiracy theorist has been demonized. So we call ourselves parapolitical researchers. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. That's a nice title. <laughs> I know it, it's taken on a, a stigma, but, uh, yes. uh, but anyway, I've been that way for a long time and I still am. And, uh, I, I started to realize that, uh, it, uh, looking for that information or, or, uh, you know, once your eyes are open and once you realize the truth of the way our uh, society and our government and so forth works, uh, that, that information, at least for me, and I think it's true for a lot of other people, it becomes addictive almost. And I would find myself, you know, continually reading and watching, uh, over and over and over again. And a lot of it was stuff I, I knew by heart because I've just been exposed to it for so long. And, uh, I also found that it was, it, it was depressing me because the, you know, the, there didn't seem to be much real hope. Um, I, I don't believe in violent revolution. I agree with uh, David Icke, you know, who says you, you, you've become the people you're trying to, uh, you know, get rid of if you do that. And I honestly don't think we can change the system from within because I think it's, it's fixed, and uh, you know they have a lock on it, and there's not much we can do. So with those two options pretty much neutralized, it seemed hopeless to me. And that hopelessness combined with the continued exposure to the material just become very depressing. I already was familiar with things like um, the secret, the law of uh, attraction and all that. And it started to occur to me, gee, I'm, you know, I'm attracting all this negative uh, stuff to me. Uh, I'm interested in it, you know, but, but it, it became, uh, like I said, it becomes addictive. I heard someone recently refer to it as fear porn. And I think that's a good, yes. a good, a good label. And, uh, I wanted to write a book for a long time, and uh, actually, I wanted to write fiction. Um, I had a fiction book that I'd been writing in my mind for a good 12 years, and when I sat down to write that fiction book, a little voice in my head said, service to others before service to self. You have to write a book that's going to be practically helpful to people before you engage in any kind of entertainment, and that made sense to me, and, and I, so I put aside the novel, and I, I went with this idea. And uh, I, when I started, I really wasn't sure where I was going to go. And, and then I said, you know, I want to write something that offers realistic, practical hope 
for us uh, to get out of the, the morass we're in in this world now. In other words, something to counter all the conspiracy stuff, which I believe is true. I believe it 100%. Uh, but, but like I said, I saw no solutions really being offered by anybody. You know, it was, it, nothing practical or real. And uh, I felt that uh, what the afterlife teaches us and what we can and the, the uh, personal transformations we can undergo by being exposed to that material, as, as I wrote in the book, I'm sure you read, uh, is one way out of this for us. Uh, another way is the uh, dimensional shift, which I'm sure we'll get to uh, in, in the course of our conversation, uh, Dolores Cannon's New Earth Theory. Mm-hmm. And I started to see that there were these, uh, as I say, you know, practical, realistic uh, ways out of this. And, and they were very positive. I mean, they're on a spiritual level. And as I also say in the book, uh, you know, the, the, I believe the causes of the problems in this world ultimately are due to uh, uh, degraded spirituality, at least on the part of the people in power who've created this this terrible world we live in. And it only seems logical that the solution to that problem should occur on a spiritual level as well. And uh, like I said, the more I thought about this, the more I connected the what I knew about the spirit realm with the uh, the new nature of reality model. I said, th- this is this is a positive, life-affirming uh, potential solution to the problems we face. And then I went about, you know, just trying to organize it and document it. And you and I both, correct me if I'm wrong, were raised Roman Catholics. We'll, we'll talk about that and why we were a little bit disenchanted with, with, <laughs> with, with some of the things we couldn't find and the, the illogical aspects of the heaven and hell and all that. And, you know, I, I saw a saying the other day, what, what, what was it? I'm just trying to think what it was. Um, the errors of the past do not define me. They just guide me. And it's almost like you always have a second chance to, to, to make things better. But when it comes to, to, to religion, sometimes it's so black and white that it seems unfair sometimes. But we'll discuss that later. But, John, as you know, we have discussed the, the topic of the afterlife many times on this program. But how do we know for certain that there is... An afterlife. You say there actually is an afterlife, and we actually know something concrete and specific about the afterlife. Now, that's a an extraordinary claim. So, tell us more. Yes, it is an extraordinary claim, and actually, uh, the model of the afterlife that I present in the book is is a modern secular model. It's not religious, and it primarily comes from the work of uh, Michael Newton. Uh, and we can get into the sure. details of his model later, but uh, but there are many other researchers who've, who've uh, you know delved into this and written books about it, and they their their findings correspond with his, so they support his findings. Uh, and I was originally going to dive right into the the Newton model or what I call the Newton model, and then it hit me that uh, before I do that, I have to address what you just brought up. You know, uh, you know his model in a sense, I, the the research he's done. And the data he's uh, uncovered, I think, serves as proof for his model to a certain extent. But I wanted independent proof for that. And the way I went about it was uh, really, uh, I think, threefold. Uh, I said the pillars of the Newton model are um, the existence of an afterlife realm, the existence of a human soul, and reincarnation. Those, the, the entire model rests upon those three pillars. So I said, is there any way I could independently uh, provide evidence that if it doesn't prove their existence, at least uh, makes a powerful case for that? And I went about it as follows. Uh, To prove that the afterlife exists and the soul exists, uh, I discussed in detail the near-death experience. There's a tremendous amount of data available on that because that's been 
that's been around since the mid seventies at least, and much much formal, uh, sophisticated research has been done. Many many books have been written uh, with involvement by medical doctors and scientists and so forth, and it's consistent. Everything these people find is consistent. So you're talking about thousands upon thousands of people undergoing these NDEs and coming up with the same uh, stories, the same information, the same experiences. So I felt that was very powerful evidence. And what we see in the NDE. Uh, is the fact that uh, when people have a near-death experience, uh, either as a result of an accident or a medical mishap, uh, they cross over into another realm. There's the, the familiar tunnel of light, or, uh, excuse me, dark tunnel. They travel to light, and then they end up in a place that seems to be the spirit realm. And in fact, they usually encounter either deceased relatives or um, ethereal beings that are like spirit guides. And... Uh, it, it, Again, the, the, the experience is so real to them, uh, they often describe it as being more real than the life experience on Earth. That's a common description. And it's so consistent from person to person to person that I think it makes a powerful case for the existence of an afterlife. And uh, what happens to them at the moment of the near-death experience initially is they have an out-of-body experience. Something leaves their physical body and rises above it, and they're able to uh, experience their surroundings from that essence, which appears to be a soul or a spirit. They actually see their physical body lying on the bed or the hospital gurney or whatever it is, and uh, they can float around and they, uh, they see things and hear things. And uh, they have this very ethereal, soul-like experience. And naturally, when they cross over to the other side, they're in that form, and the beings that they encounter are in that form as well. Uh, and again, I, I don't know how far you want to go into it, but the, the evidence for the near-death experience is really, really powerful. And uh, I, I think that makes a very powerful case for the existence of a soul in the afterlife. Um, and some of the questions that I'm going to be asking, I'm going to sound like I'm a, a, a skeptic. I am. I, I'm an open-minded skeptic, so we just have to be <laughs> – we can't be too gullible. And I'm, by reading right. your book, you are one of those two. You're a skeptic with an open mind. And I'm glad you discussed the religious and scientific aspects of the afterlife, or lack thereof for the latter. Yes. You say, quote, religious adherents are asked to accept the unsubstantiated claims regarding the afterlife on faith alone. Mainstream science, on the other hand, does not acknowledge the existence of an afterlife at all, nor does it acknowledge its necessary precursor, the soul, unquote. Please comment on this. Yes, I'd, love, I'd like to comment on that first part about religion uh, asking their adherents to accept it on faith. I didn't put this in the book because it occurred to me after I wrote the book. But I, I noticed a tremendous irony about that. As you said, I was brought up Catholic like you. So my familiarity is, is primarily with the Catholic religion. And even mm -hmm. though I abandoned it, I, you know, I, I was with it for a while. Uh, and in the Catholic religion, and I think this is true uh, in Protestantism and, and perhaps Judaism as well, uh, Satan – who is the primary adversary, uh, is often described as the prince of lies and the great deceiver. I mean, that, that's, he's a very powerful being, but those seem to be, that seems to be his primary power, that he deceives people and he lies. Now, it seems to me that if, as a, a, a religious um, organization, if your primary adversary is known for being an expert liar, the very last thing you're going to ask your adherents to do is accept anything on faith. You're going to demand proof. Doesn't that make sense? Right. Yeah. I mean, if, if you're a you know if you're a captain in the army and someone rides into the base and gives you a message and it says, uh, you know, uh, this is from the commanding general. You're supposed to throw down your arms and surrender immediately. 
uh, and you have no proof that it came from your commanding general, are you going to accept that? No. You know, you expect your enemy to lie and deceive you. And they say that he's the great deceiver. And yet this is their primary, uh, you know, the basis of their belief. I've had many religious people who disagree with me, uh, you know, fervently about my thoughts of the afterlife uh, defend their position, the religious position. And when I point out that there's no proof, they're very proud to say that they accept it on faith. I mean, there's no shame with that. That's, that's something they feel extremely proud about that. You know, we, we take this on faith alone. We don't require proof. And again, I have to say, if the, if the guy you're fighting against is the great liar, then that's not the way to approach this. Uh, and, and it's also unscientific. And, and while I'm a very spiritual person, I also, I have a lot of faith in science or at least the scientific method. And, uh, I do want some type of proof. And I do say in my book that I believe the only things that are conclusively provable are mathematical things. Everything else is, has a degree of truth to it. And it depends upon the quality of the evidence you produce and the, uh, amount of evidence. Uh, but the more evidence and the higher the quality, the more likely the thing is true. So I'd like to see as much evidence and as much high quality evidence as I could for any conjecture that anybody presents to me. And so the religious thing, as you said, even when I was a very young child, before I had any kind of sophisticated thinking, it just didn't fit with me. I just, I just found it, you know, hard to swallow. And then, as you said, as I pointed out in the book, that this the science says there is no soul, there is no afterlife. They present no proof for their position at all. So in, very, in a very real sense, they're much like the religious side of it, who, who they are always at odds with. Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, our two uh, self-appointed uh, arbiters of truth in our society, religion and science, in this area at least, uh, offer no proof at all for their positions. And when I first came across Michael Newton's uh, first two books, Journey of Souls and Destiny of Souls, uh, I realized he had a very coherent, rational, structured model with loads of evidence to support it. Again, people consistently telling the same thing and describing the same experiences. And I saw this was just so, a, so much more robust and um, powerful uh, model for the afterlife compared to the religious model or for the complete lack of an afterlife that science uh, claims. And it's interesting that you're talking about science and religion because I think there are two religions. There is religion and there is science. Because I think science lately is be becoming or behaving like religion, very dogmatic. And even if they cannot explain something, they say, well, that does not exist, period. And we know with studying consciousness and so on that they have a lot to learn. But I like quotes, John, and you include a lot of quotes, especially one of my favorite people, Terrence McKenna. Yes. You, you have this quote, and it says, quote, entertain all possibilities but never commit to belief. Belief always being seen as a kind of trap, because if you believe something, you are forever precluded from believing its opposite, unquote. And I live by the following motto, John, you probably know this, I would rather have a mind open by wonder than one closed by belief. So why is it, John, that most people want you to believe without questioning? Isn't, isn't this perpetuating the ignorance to accept everything at face value. Yes, I agree 100%. And uh, I think there, there are several reasons. One reason is I think laziness. It's just so much easier for someone to tell you what to believe, and then you accept that, and you just point at that. You don't have to do any thinking. You don't have to do any research. Uh, and, and I think a lot of people uh, fall into that trap strictly from laziness. Uh, I mean, if, if you question anybody on anything, whether it's what we're talking about now, the afterlife, or you know, conspiracy things like 9-11, uh, 
you know, uh, the, the people who have the alternative view rarely offer any supporting evidence at all. I mean, they have nothing to support their position. They've just adopted a position that they've heard somebody else say, and that's it. That their hands. Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.